More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I'm Kelly, your host, and I'm excited to dive back into our conversation with Justin Woodbury of the book, Sheltered But Not Protected. You can find him at shelteredbutnotprotected.com. Learn more about his story there of surviving childhood sexual abuse in the IFB. And we discussed that on the last episode of Survivor Sanctuary. And we're about to dive back into our conversation with Justin and learn how he came out of the IFB and more of his story. So let's dive right back in with Justin Woodbury of Sheltered But Not Protected. Okay, so you've been forced to, which that's what made my blood pressure go up, forced to admit your part in the abuse, which your part was zero because you were preyed upon and groomed by a crazy person who was a predator. So at what point did you kind of start to understand, huh, like there's something wrong with this picture. How did you get out? Yeah, great question. So like I said, I went to college um, after I, you know, confessed what I had done and to my pastor, I actually had to go to the pastor at the college of the church I went to and tell him and then all the staff found out. So I was, I was put on, I was on watch. I was on standby with the whole entire staff, but Again, another story for another time, but I, I graduated with a degree in music, went back and became the music director at that church. At that time, just to put some context for this as well, at that time, my pastor met with me, or at first he met with my parents and he said, if you ever disagree or come to me about a, a decision I've made involving Justin or anything like that, if you ever come between me and Justin, I will fire him and he will no longer have a job. Then he sat down with me and he says, I've told your parents this. And he told me that. And, and then he said, you know, your parents did a subpar job raising you and I am going to fix the mistakes that they made. And so wow. um, th- that began six or seven years, about seven years of uh, mental and emotional um, and psychological abuse. And uh, again, I could go on and on and on about what took place, but it just was just bizarre abuse. Um, and so during that time, I developed a relationship with the assistant pastor's daughter. And she wasn't allowed to get married. There, there was a family, there, there, was a, there were 14 kids in the family. And wow. the dad had a rule that they couldn't get married till they were 24. So when this girl was 18 and I was 22, 23, um, when she was 18, I was 23. We, we started to like each other, which simply meant we hung out in the same groups and everything. Anyways, as, as she got older, I went to her father a few times and said, I'm interested in your daughter. Um, and, and he's like, I'm not interested in stuff. So 
you know, we believed in courtship. Um, I'm sure you know right. the yeah court. So it was courtship. So I went to the father, and he came back each time and said, "No, I'm not interested. Um, no, I'm not interested." So instead of honoring that or telling him to, you know, go fly a kite, um, we we sneaked behind his back, and so for about six years, uh, we sneaked behind his back. And what that simply meant was we would call each other on the phone when he wasn't around and uh, stuff like that. Well, when we were about the summer, so when I was 29, um, she was 23, it it got physical. I'm talking like holding hands and stuff like that. Um, And we were continuing to sneak behind um, her dad's back. Anyway, she went to a camp, a Christian camp, to go to counsel for the summer, and she was counseling kids, and I'm sure you'll appreciate some of these terms, but she was counseling these kids to unload the truck and come clean with their parents about the music that they had been listening to or oh dear. Um, and stuff like that. So a whole entire summer of her counseling her, these kids, and she was feeling super guilty about sneaking behind her dad's back, even though she was a full-grown adult. And so when she got back for the summer, she went to her dad and she didn't unload the truck. She didn't tell him almost anything, but she did tell him that we had been sneaking behind his back for six years. And I was confronted about it. I admitted to it. We were both made to go before the church and admit, oh yeah, and admit a relationship. Had How been is going that on. the church's business? <laughs> like, well, so he, you know, he wanted to make, he, like I said, he was a master at just humiliating people. And so he wanted to make an example out of me. Here's the music director of a well-known church in Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, who has been mentally, emotionally, and then most recently physically impure with the assistant pastor's daughter. And it had nothing to do with anything except the fact that we didn't have his blessing. And so they felt that I had been living a lie the entire time I worked at the church because I was sneaking behind the assistant pastor's back and stuff. And I, as I say this, I, I realize how silly it sounds. We were both adults, right? Um, but we're sneaking behind his back. So yeah, we were, we were made to go before the church and confess. And I had to step down as the music director, or I chose to step down as the music director. And so that was the beginning of it. I had to get out of Michigan is the bottom line at that point, because I didn't know if there was ever a chance for this girl and I, and I had, you know, put six years into it and I, I was just a mess. And I was like, I need to get out of Michigan. So I um, moved to Colorado where I live now and began to attend a church, another IFB church in Colorado, except this church was way less strict because they actually sang Wilds music. I don't know if you know the Wilds camp or whatever, but I've heard. Yes. Yeah. Very conservative still, but our church, our church was such a cult that even the other IFB churches called us a cult. So it was, um, in fact, when I, when I left Kelly, I was made, I was about to be made to enforce a dress standard for my choir that involved the length of women's hair, the way they could do their hair, the size purses they could wear, um, the their fingernail polish color, all sorts of stuff like that. I mean, and I was going to have to enforce it for on-platform dress and off of platforms, even if they were on oh vacation. Gosh. Yeah. So it was a cult um, big time. And so I, I moved to Colorado, joined another church. I don't know if you ever saw that, um, that dateline um, about the IFB. Um, it was aired in, uh, I 
I think 2010 or 2011. Probably um, not that one if it was that far back. Yeah, it was a while back. It's devastating um, and fascinating. But anyways, I, without being too long-winded here, I moved out to Colorado one day. Um, I watched that. Well, a couple of things happened. One, one, I met my wife-to-be. Once I was in Colorado, I became friends with um, my wife now, Emily, over Facebook, and neither one of us were looking for a relationship, but we just started, you know, chatting back and forth and became good friends. And, you know, a year later we were married, but during that time that we were chatting and stuff, I started, I think being away from my home church in Michigan helped, um, but I just started questioning, you know, was that my fault? And was the way I was brought up, is that really true? Um, did God really say no alcohol or did he just say, don't get drunk? And I was having these conversations constantly in my mind, trying to figure it out. So I think that was the start of it. What really, two things that really catapulted my exit from the IFB. One was I got engaged and around that same time is actually when I watched that dateline on the IFB church. And I remember my fiance, wife now, but my fiance at the time watching that with me and saying, oh my gosh, I went to school with her. Oh my gosh, she was in my church choir. Like she knew these places because it was all about these different churches in Illinois that Emily and her family had attended. And so that was shocking. And then after I got engaged, Carolyn Mathia actually reached out to me on Facebook oh. and said, hey, I just noticed you got engaged. I'm so happy for you. Um, she looks like a wonderful girl. Congratulations. And I was immediately brought back to two situations. One, when we were at a funeral one time, uh, the girl in our church had died and we were at a funeral. And while I was there, a friend that I hadn't seen for years came up and her and I were talking. It was a girl and we were talking and this girl was like, hey, it's good to catch up. We haven't seen each other in so long here's my number. Give me a call sometime. Maybe we can hang out. And so she wrote down her number on a piece of paper. And Carolyn apparently saw that, but she, cause she came up to me afterwards. She's like, who is that? And I, I said, that was just an old friend. She's like, what did she give you? And I said, her phone number. She's like, oh, can I see? And so I gave her my phone number and she crumpled it up and put it in her mouth and ate it. Oh. And she said, if you're with me, you're not going to be with any other woman. And then a little while later, we were talking on the phone and she just starts sobbing and I'm like, what's wrong? And, and she's like, Oh, you know, I just can't imagine. She's like, I know you're going to probably move on. You're not going to want to be with me and you're going to move on one day and you're going to marry someone else. And she's like, I will be in the audience um, with a broken heart because it should have been me. Ugh. And so both of those, yeah, yeah, both of those things really kind of like freaked me out. And so anyways, that's what I was brought back to when I saw that message. I just imagined her, being at my wedding and sobbing and stuff. And so I, I mustered up the most courage I could find. And I told her that she was a disgusting pig and never reach out to me again. And that I was going to block around the um, block around Facebook. And I said, if you ever contact me again, I will, I will um, report this to the police and make your life a living hell or something. I don't even remember what it was, but it was pretty PG rated looking back. Um, <laughs> But, Still good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I felt pretty good because I had never, um, you know, we were always taught to, you know, turn the other cheek or a soft right. answer and all that. So, and then I looked into Michigan, uh, Michigan statute of limitations, 
and it had just passed like a month or two mm. ago. And so I called my parents and I'm like, why did you guys not do something about this 15 years ago when it ha- or however long it was, 10 years, 15 years ago when this happened? Like, why didn't you do it? And they're like, oh, we just didn't think to. And I, for the first time in my life at 31, 30, 31, I didn't go to church that Sunday. And it's not because I was sick. It was not. It was because of nothing. It was because I was pissed at church, and I was pissed at my pastor, and I was upset with my parents. And you know, it was like kind of like when you went to the movie theater and expected something horrible to happen. I sat, stayed home from church for no good reason except I was upset, and I didn't know what was going to happen. I I was like, "Am I going to get struck down? Like whatever." <laughs> and so nothing happened. And so. That was the beginning of it. I'll fast forward to the time where we had our first child, Jackson. And my wife and I were married for a couple of years. We had Jackson. And I remember just looking down at him as a newborn baby and feeling this overwhelming sense of responsibility to protect him and to make sure that in as um, is much as I could control it, he would never, ever have to go through the same abuse and everything that I had gone through for the past 30 years. And I was like, what's the best way to do that? And we were attending that same church in Colorado at the time. And as a side note, my son has speech apraxia um, and he's on the autism spectrum. So, you know, a a year after he was born, um, we started finding, noticing different things. And I think the straw that broke the camel's back to really just answer your question, what got me out of it was, there is a man in the church we were attending that had been rumored to be really inappropriate with children. Mm. And for instance, he was found in the furnace room of the church basement teaching Sunday school to a bunch of small boys. And when he was asked, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm teaching Sunday school, of course. And they're like, why in the furnace room of a basement? He's like, well, because there are all the other classrooms were we're taking just bizarre, inappropriate oh, stuff. Yeah. And so I went to the pastor and I'm like, please, as a father with a son, and especially a father with a son with special needs who can't talk and can't tell me if something did happen, I'm begging you, do something about this. And he's like, absolutely. This guy will never be around children again. And the next week he was down there with children um, at the Iwanas thing or whatever they had for the children's program. And I went to the pastor. I'm like, what's going on? And He's like, well, you know, we're, we're trying to work some things out. And so at that point, my wife and I were like, we've got to get out of here because this is not a safe place for this guy to be. Number one, he had refused to take a background check as mm. far as we were told. And so he had refused to have a background check. And now he was down around my son who couldn't talk. And so we left and we've never, I can't say we've never stepped foot in an IFB church since then. Um, my parents still attend one and we've gone to their church a few times, but we've never consistently attended an IFB church then since then. And it's it's only become more clear as to why we left and why we're glad we did. Right. And it just, man, first of all, those aren't red flags at all, what that guy was doing. Like that's yeah. insane, completely yeah. insane. And it's like this, this refusal of so many in leadership and not even just leaders, but it starts with leaders. You know, if they were teaching people the right way to feel and think about abuse, then it, it would trickle down to the congregation. But it's this, like this refusal to just believe or admit that predators are a thing that imposters are a thing like Mm -hmm. the bible talks about it 
And we just refuse to believe like as a church that it's actually true, you know, like, oh, imposters are people who want to be Democrats and tell you that yes. it's okay. You know? That's right. That's right. But, but not this nice, lovely Sunday school teacher who refuses a background check or who is preying on teen boys or it's just, it's insane to me that in a denomination that has zero grace for people just being humans, like zero grace, you know, yes. oh no, you, you had premarital sex. Oh no, you had a beer. Oh no. You know, you, you got pregnant out of wedlock, like whatever. That's right. Zero grace for those people. Yes. And then every time somebody who seems to be this perfect Christian person turns out to be a predator, it's like, oh, all we have for this person is grace. Yes. And we have to assign 50% of the blame to the person that they preyed upon because clearly uh -huh. this, it just, it makes no sense to me. How do you have no grace for a person who ends up pregnant when they're not married and yet you just pour out unnecessary amounts of grace, like insane on people who are actually preying on other human beings. Yeah. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. And the answer is always, but by the grace of God, there go I. It's like, that's what, that's what we always hear about somebody that was being a predator or whatever, you know, but, but by God's grace, I would be doing the same thing if it wasn't for God's grace. And it's like, come on. Does that like drive you nuts when you hear that? Because it's like what you're essentially saying if God weren't super extra gracious to me, you know, that I would rape children. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what you're saying. Like, well, you know, I have no room to judge because if it weren't for God's grace, I'd be out there molesting little kids. Like, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> like in no. what universe? Like no. you don't necessarily have to have God's grace to keep from doing horrible things like that. Like that's that that's like a, a very base appetite for evil that that's not in every single person. Like, yeah. yeah, we all have the capacity to sin, but the sin leveling thing just drives me insane. Like it's yes. not the same, yes. you know, stealing a pack of gum from a grocery store or having a consensual premarital or extramarital sexual relationship is not the same as someone preying on a child and sexually abusing them. Like it isn't the same thing. And yet in IFB churches, it just seems to be like, you know, we'll have grace for all the predators because they tend to be the people who are in charge and we'll have no grace for these lay people who go out and just commit regular everyday sins, you right. know, it drives me nuts, drives me crazy. So it's good to hear that you escaped from all that. It's still infuriating what you had to go through. Because I've read a couple of different things on your page, on your blog about people kind of pushing back against you speaking out on sexual abuse, which is super annoying. Yeah. Um, but it's stuff we all, you know, I was reading through like a list, I think, on your blog of stuff people have said to you that's just yes. like really rude and not helpful at all after you've spoken out. Yeah. Um, and some of that is like predictable or whatever. But you tried to warn another church about this woman who was a predator and got pushed back from the, that pastor. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So uh, about a year or two ago, it, it hit me again. And it, it's like, as I heal from abuse, and as I grow and learn, and I've, I've made plenty of mistakes on my blog and on my thing. But as I as I learn and stuff, one day, it just hit me, like this woman's probably attending a different church. And she's still a predator, I believe, in most, if not all cases, once a predator, always a predator. Same. Um, and, and so and, and I knew she had never gotten help. So 
I thought she's attending a church and she could be preying on other young children. And so I reached out very kindly. I mean, you can see the email I sent to the pastor on the blog and I just said, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about a predator in your congregation or something like that. And, uh, never heard back. And so I called and left a voicemail and I was a little bit stronger because about a week had gone by. And in my mind, a week means three services that this woman could be preying on children. So I was a little bit irritated. And so I said, please call me back or write me back. Believe me, it'll be better for the both of us if you do. And so a couple of days later, I got an email from that pastor and he berated me for the the way I had sent the email. He's like, it was alarming and you did not need to send that type of an email. Instead, why don't you start your emails like this? And he suggested how I should have emailed him. And it was like, he was more upset with the my, the tone of my email than he was with the the content of it. And right. the content was like, you have a freaking church, <laughs> a, a predator, a sexual predator in your church. Right. And so... That told me everything I needed to know, right? It was like, well, she obviously exactly. found the perfect church to hide in <laughs> because this guy's funny, but funny. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly she did a great job of finding another church that protects predators and shames victims. And so I came back pretty strongly. And again, I don't remember all the, the details of it. It's on my blog, but I came back pretty strongly. Um, he came back even stronger. And then I was like, I'm going to turn this into a public post because not that I wanted to do that. All I wanted him to say was, hey, Justin, I'm aware of the situation and she is does not work with children. We're, we're aware of it and we keep an eye on her. That's all I wanted to hear. But right. he refused to give me any details. He's like, it's none of your business what goes on in my church. And, you know, maybe, but I wasn't satisfied with that. And so I was like, if I can't get him to tell me anything in private, then I'm going to warn everybody that I possibly can in public. So I wrote a post about it and I wrote a public open letter to that pastor. Um, and I actually, I actually boosted the post and I did some AdWords and stuff to boost it. So people even in that, the, within a vicinity of his church could read it. And I tagged the church in it. Well, a lady that used to go to our church years ago that I hadn't talked to in probably 15 or 20 years actually reached out to me and somehow that pastor had called her and said, you tell Justin that if he doesn't take that story down right now, I'm going to pursue legal action against him. Oh, please. Um, and I had a, a post already to write saying, come at me, bro. But I, didn't. <laughs> I, I was, I, I was just like, you know, I'm not going to take it down, but I'm not going to fuel the fire. I, I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. And that was to warn people about a predator in the church. And then he actually told the woman, he didn't tell me directly, but he told the woman, he's like, yes, I am aware of it. However, it did happen 20 years ago um, and it was dealt with. So I don't know why Justin's making a big deal about it. So he was aware of the situation and she wasn't allowed to work. Well, he never said she wasn't allowed to work. Um, long story short, she, um, she wasn't really a faithful attender. And so she wasn't working with the nursery, not that he had not let her, but she wasn't. So I was satisfied to just drop it. But yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, that's just crazy. I I will never understand that. Like that pastors get immediately defensive when you try to talk to them about, you know, somebody being a child molester. It's like, because it has to be. To me, the only reason for that is that you want to protect the church's reputation. You want to protect your institution and 
any word about sexual abuse, admitting that it happens or that it ever did, or that somebody in your church has ever done anything wrong, like that can threaten like what you've got going on. I mean, I can't think of any other reason why this happens so often that churches yes. just get super defensive when you try to warn them or talk to them about maybe what they might need to be concerned about. And it's like, they don't understand that they need to be concerned. Like if you don't get why it's important that you don't have a predator in your midst, yeah. like it's, it's our job to tell you. And, and that's what you essentially wanted to do was to warn people. And that's why we reach out to churches in the first place. Yeah. And a pastor asked me once, like, what is it that you want to happen here? I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe I want to make sure that the guy who molested me and other girls when we were little uh. isn't still doing doing it to people because he's a trusted head deacon in your church. Like, I don't know, maybe that's like, that was literally the whole reason. And I said it in every email that I sent, I would oh. not have bugged you with this. I would not have bugged you with this. If I wasn't worried that this was happening to other girls, like for yes. me, it was like, not like, Oh, I'm such a wonderful person. I didn't care about what happened to me, but honestly, I didn't want to come forward and make a big deal out of anything because I knew it was going to be hard. Yes. I knew it was going to be emotional. I was worried about this guy's wife and kids. You know, I'm like, I don't want to yes. ruin everybody's life, Yes, but it's that realization when you start understanding what predators are and how they work like as a kid. And I'm sure you have kind of the same thing, like the way that you experienced what happened to you at 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 is probably very different than how your adult mind now processes it because oh you, my gosh, yes. you understand so much more. Yeah. And so, yeah, when I was six, it was all about me. I caused this. I made this happen. I did something bad. I was horrible. You know, I carry this guilt. I carry the shame. And when yep. it all kind of in my adult mind began to make more sense, I was like, oh my goodness, this wasn't just some random thing that happened. Yeah. I was groomed. Yes. And if you're groomed and he was really good at, you know, making sure like he could get me alone and showing up at just the right time, like he was good at what he did. So that was like, in my mind, kind of the same thing with, with you realizing, oh crap, she's probably still preying on people. It yes. wasn't just me. It's never just one person. And yes. so we tell churches and we reach out and then we get these stupid responses and then everybody wants you to not complain about churches or the IFB or whatever. And people make a big deal like, you don't love the Lord and you're just making his church look bad. And it's like, no, like you don't understand. Yeah. Like we're trying to protect kids and you clearly don't give a crap. Yes. Either you just don't care at all, which I'm leaning toward that, or you honestly have literally zero education on sexual abuse or, or predatory behavior. And if that's the case, should you really be leading a congregation that includes children? Yeah, it's, it's either willful ignorance because they've been warned and they know better. It's either willful ignorance or they, they know and they just don't care. But I, I completely agree. It's like with that situation with the pastor and even situations since then, um, I reached out. My, my latest post on Facebook is about a, a dear girl that wrote me after I started my page and she went to the same church, but she told me that the entire time that her family was attending the church, that her dad was molesting her. And so the family of this girl actually reached out to me and said, Hey, you should expose my dad basically. And so I did. Um, but I, I reached out to the church that this guy was attending also. And it was a similar situation. He didn't get back to me. So I, I made it public and then he did get back to me and he was really humble about it. It's like, I'm sorry, I should have gotten back to you. Anyways, Every time I've reached out 
and haven't gotten the response that I felt like was necessary to make sure that this was taken care of and have made it public after that. I've never done it with ill intent. In fact, some of these pastors I've had respect for and knew them growing up and like had high respect for them and there's no malice or anything. It's just like, if you're not going to... I just refuse to let my son and my daughter grow up in the same kind of world that I grew up in if I can at all help it. And if I have to make it public and piss people off and get my get bodily harm threatened or people threaten me with bodily harm or threaten me with lawsuits and it makes the world just a little bit safer for my kids or for other people I'm willing to do it yeah it is I, I agree with you Kelly it's bizarre that that pastors are so defensive of sexual predators and they're usually the first ones to talk about Hollywood right and 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 stuff and and make it sound like those that's that's what's bringing down the churches these days is people watching Hollywood movies and it's like no it's your predators that you're constantly defending exactly it's like all this stuff is happening within your church and Hollywood doesn't need to like honestly do anything because you're doing a great job of it without any outside help like it's insane to me it's just so crazy um, well, I know like we could probably talk for 952 hours, um, yeah. but I, I won't make you. So <laughs> I do want to talk about sheltered, but not protected. So that's the name of your Facebook page. And you've also got sheltered, but not protected.com and yes. tell us about your book. Yeah. So, you know, I, I started telling my wife, a lot of the stories, and she grew up in an IFB church as well. I think I already mentioned that. But when I started her telling, started telling her some of the stories um, that I've shared here um, with you, and then just some other stories of growing up, or some of the things that happened once I did graduate from college and came back to that um, that abusive environment with my pastor, she was like, "This is unbelievable! Like you should, you could write a book." And I would laugh it off and stuff. And then um, I started traveling a little bit for work. And somehow, I don't know, I just, I probably just am a person that just overshares, but somehow like with people, I would get talking about church or religion or something and wind up sharing part of my story. And people would be like, my gosh, like you should, you could write a book. And so um, I didn't take it seriously for the longest time. Then, like I said, when I, when I held my son in my arms and I was like, how can I help make this world a better place? I, I thought, you know what, I should write a book. So I started to. So the, the book is basically about um, me growing up in an IFB church. And, you know, the shelter but not protected is basically I was talking to Emily one day and I was just talking about all the things, you know, we weren't allowed to watch movies. Girls weren't allowed to wear pants and guys weren't really allowed to wear shorts. And um, we weren't allowed to listen to music. I, I got my alarm clock radio taken away when I was 13 for listening to the Beach Boys. Um, oh, so gosh. we were, yeah, um, we were extremely sheltered in that environment. And they promised, as long as you follow us, and as long as you're that under that umbrella of authority, you'll be protected from all the bad things that are happening out in the world. Well, in reality, what happened was those bad things happened right within that sheltered environment. Um, including my story of sexual abuse and um, the girl that I was mentioning that her dad sexually abused her and there was rape and there was incest, a lot of sexual stuff and even other stuff as well, but it seemed like a lot of sexual and mental and physical abuse. And so my, my wife was like, you were sheltered, but you weren't protected. 
And I'm like, that's the name of my book right there is a perfect right. name. And I have to give her all the credit for it. But the book is basically just about me growing up in that IFB church. And, you know, the bizarre things that happen when you're made to feel so guilty for doing perfectly normal things that when you actually start doing things that you really should start feeling guilty about, you don't feel any more guilty for it. And so boys were molesting their cousins and I was molested and um, just bizarre, crazy things happen. And I really think one of the reasons why is because everyone's conscience was so messed up because we were made to feel bad for just liking a girl. Um, right. It was mental impurity. So why not go all the way and, and be physically impure with another girl or with your cousin or anything like that? And there's this curiosity and there's just and this abstinence. And so we weren't allowed to do anything normal. And so we did things that were extremely abnormal and weird and strange. And so it's just basically stories of that to, to try to expose that kind of thinking. And then really um, how I you know went to college, came back, and even in a, in a way participated in some of that, not implicitly, I you know obviously didn't abuse anybody or anything like that, but participated in trying to scare people into not sinning and and stood by well, young kids were the crap was beat out of them and stuff, and I would plead with the deacons and with the pastor to do something about it, but they never did. Um, and looking back, I wish so badly I had called the police on some of these parents that were just beating their kids um, just senselessly, like with, with for no reason and a, a lot of different stuff like that. So um, it's a book about that. And then when I was 30, how I got, kind of got out of it, kind of my journey to healing and forgiveness. And that's a part of my book um, that I don't talk about a whole lot. And there's a part of it on my page that I don't talk about a whole lot. I probably should talk about it more, but I don't I don't feel like victims need to hear about how I learned to forgive. If they want to learn that, then there's been plenty of people that have reached out to me, but I think they just want to know that they're being heard and not, well, you need to forgive. Um, and so I've kind of stayed away from that a little bit, but part of the book is um, how I learned to forgive Carolyn Mathia um, and the incredible changes that happened from that. And to, with my, just with my state of health and, a lot of different things. I mean, my life has changed since then. So that's a part of it as well. Really my journey of what happened, how I got out of it and how I learned to heal and forgive. Well, I'm excited to read it. And I know after this, <laughs> we're going to have a lot of listeners interested as well. So I just want to remind everybody that you can learn more about the book and you can learn more about Justin and read his blog, which I've read. Uh, I think I've gone through your blog a couple of times and the thing about the purse size was insane. Can you just tell me real quick, like what is considered an ungodly size of a purse? <laughs> like, is it too small or too big? Or I don't, I don't remember the purse size per se. It was too big. Um, small was fine, but big was gaudy, and it was kind of the adorning yourself and some apparel or whatever. I forget the exact verse right. that he used, um, but I can tell you that. Uh, the fingernail polish and the lipstick and all that had to be flesh tones, whatever that is. I'm assuming it means it had to complement the natural color of your skin. So it couldn't be like bright red or green or anything it had to be like, right. The ones that barely show up on your face. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So that, but yeah, the, the purse thing, it was always kind of a mystery, but it was, it was this, it couldn't be too big. We like our people in flesh tones before we abuse them. So awesome. <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. So again, it's sheltered, but not protected.com. 
and you can find Shelter But Not Protected on Facebook as well. And Justin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I I mean, I don't I don't love that your story happened, obviously, but I really enjoyed hearing your perspective and um, really thankful that you you shared that with us. Well, thank you again, Kelly. I really appreciate it. It counted a privilege and uh, yeah, thank you. Justin Woodbury of Sheltered But Not Protected. You can find out more about him at shelteredbutnotprotected.com and you can follow his Facebook page of the same name, Sheltered But Not Protected. And as always, you can join us to continue this conversation with any comments you may have on this podcast episode on the Facebook group, survivor sanctuary podcast so join us there if you haven't already well thanks for joining me for another episode of survivor sanctuary and i'll catch you back here next time thanks for listening to survivor sanctuary with me kelly downing if you found value in today's podcast please leave us a review on itunes not only will it put a big smile on my face more importantly your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast also make sure you subscribe to survivor sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode you can also join the conversation in our survivor sanctuary facebook group And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.